Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Facebook Live Town Hall with the director. I'm going to start this off by saying technical glitches have uh, beset me tonight, and so I'm running directly off laptop because of a recent crash. Uh, Dr. O watched me get everything together in very short order here as we got back together, and so we're going to do our best to carry on. Uh, I've got to figure out how to do some uh, screen sharing here and get some things online. But Dr. O, good evening to you, sir. Thank you for joining me yet again on another uh, Facebook Live Town Hall. I see people are logging in. How are you this evening? I am fine. Thank you. Good evening to you and to everybody. And uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's an interesting time for me because obviously we are also working with a few other schools and they just started yesterday. So it's... Uh, uh, what uh, you guys have gone through, everybody else is going through now. And, uh, you know, some of them having similar challenges. Huh? <laughs> Absolutely. Cases, et cetera. So it's, uh, you know, it's, but it's good because at least they are operating. So. Absolutely. And we've got some things that we're trying to learn from this process as we go along. But before I drop in there, I just want to say how much I appreciate the community and how we've taken on this challenge, you know, it, it's, a, it's a difficult one and we're all learning on a daily basis how to address this. And I recognize, uh, and, and, you know, first question up here is about this uh, opening, closing and the potential uh, for impact. But the reality is that's the challenge we face is that we may have more of these short-term closures. Hopefully we'll never have something uh, even government imposed that's going to take us out for 15, 20 weeks at a time. But we're really settled into a system that says, get an exposure, deal with it, go out for a short time and with the minimal number of kids out and then get back as soon as we can get back. I think we kind of proved that that worked last week because all the testing results that came back Monday demonstrated that we nipped this in the butt. Yes, and uh, I also want to thank everybody for for your patience and for your trust, uh, because I know it's uh, there's quite a bit of anxiety, and um, and uh, you know, as John said, you know, we are learning in the process, and uh, and I think the last few weeks were challenging, and uh, we have proven that uh, that the school is a safe place, and uh, and. Uh, and we have uh, managed to really limit this uh, this uh, outbreak to a really really uh, you know minute number, because I'm you know thinking, what what was the alternative? Uh, had we not done testing, have have we not done masks and all the other precautions that we have put in place in the stop protect react framework? Now I think we would be seeing now <clears throat> kind of dozens of cases. Right. And I think we we would be. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, you know, probably in the, in the decision mode of, you know, do, do we lock down the entire school for a couple of weeks? Right. Uh, so, so I think, uh, so again, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for your patience. I know uh, there have been, there are still uh, quirks with the app and we're fixing as we go. And thank you for filling it diligently because the more of you fill it out, the more specific cases we are seeing and kind of the more specific questions and the app is becoming, and the algorithm is becoming more and more specific and really addressing, you know, some uh, kind of uh, quote unquote one-offs uh, which are happening. And, uh, and it's good because again, we, we are learning. It's uh, every case is a new case that uh, has not been uh, foreseen 
uh, in a way, because again, this whole new situation is here. So, uh, but I and think uh, a couple of weeks down the road, we will be in a much better place. And there's lots of complex dynamics in this too. I know some question parents were questioning why we didn't do more with siblings, how we were looking at the dynamics of the spread, um, how it's you know lower incident of spread at younger age levels, so the response can be different. Um, at those age levels, but that that middle school age when they start to hit that all of the studies are saying to us that's where the spread can really take off if we aren't doing those protective factors. Yeah, and again, you know, if if the virus if we somehow could uh, <clears throat> color tag the virus, you know, and see it, uh, mm -hmm. this would help us a lot because even if it was kind of volatile, we we would at least see where it is, but we don't and. We have to do a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of uh, kind of investigations and kind of take uh, you know take decisions based on uh, the facts that we have, and we actually have a lot of facts, you know. And thanks to the testing, thanks to the app, you know, this really helped us in this outbreak uh, to really take the decisions that we took, and we also learned based on these uh, for the future, and. Um, and, uh, and I think, uh, I, I, again, we, we are so fortunate uh, that we have all these facts. Whereas in other schools, you know, and I'm looking at uh, one other school where we are not yet working with, they had a case and uh, one case, and they locked the whole school, you know, because they mm -hmm. didn't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. They had too few facts, they didn't know anything. So, uh, so, uh, so that's, I think, uh, uh, you know, but but again, it's a, it's a living organism, and uh, yes, the, the the spread among younger kids is probably lower, although it's based on very limited data for now. Because remember that right. school, schools were closed all over the exactly. world. Exactly. Yeah, we've all we've all been down, so we really didn't have the advantage of so being able to know. do any broad-based studies, right? We don't know that much, and uh, and uh, yes, we are making a lot of assumptions. You know, like with the symptoms, you know, we, uh, again, we are kind of focusing on the most uh, <clears throat> prevalent, on the most frequent symptoms of COVID. And you, you see that we have limited basically to four, because these are basically, you know, covering most of the cases. We could then, you know, enlarge the list by another 25 odd symptoms. Uh, mm -hmm. But then basically we, we would have to exclude everybody every day. Uh, so, so again, it's... Uh, we are, uh, you know, it's a constant kind of weighing, you know, the, the risk, uh, the, the facts that we have from the testing, uh, the facts that we have from the app, um, and uh, taking decisions, I mean, literally on a daily basis, right? Right, right. <laughs> we are online every day with John and, uh, and, <laughs> and taking decisions not uh, only for the entire cohorts, but even for specific individuals uh, very often. Exactly. And I, I wanted, I should highlight that when we had the initial cases, we sat as a crisis team. So it's not just Dr. O and me doing this, but we have the entire cabinet, our nurse, our security coordinator. We're all sitting around the table together asking the pertinent questions, digging into the information, and then making these decisions that we know have impact on, on everyone, uh, but which is why we're trying to take the most measured and appropriate decision that we can. Um, with that, I'm going to pull up the um, presentation I prepared for tonight. And again, I'm working on a single monitor here, so this makes it a little bit more difficult than I might usually do. 
uh, but uh, and excuse everything around it. You get to look ahead because I have no way to project it right now. So I'm just going to go this route. Uh, so we've got a few things that I just want to come back to our original model, our stop, protect, react. Um, that's always where we begin. And, and uh, our primary focus uh, uh, tonight is on this stop and protect and the juxtaposition between those two things. Protect is more the in-school things. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of things in school that I think are helping us. And as we shared, um, that's probably the main reason, um, you know, that we survived this. And, and I can't be underestimated the mask wearing, the disinfecting and washing of hands that's happening every uh, 20, 30 minutes throughout the building. Um, and just the things we're doing with no touch surfaces, with cleaning protocols, with our cleaners and the way they've ramped up and are doing things throughout the building. So all of that is helping us on the protect front. It's on the stop front that we're still tweaking our procedures and trying to uh, hone in and learn from our most recent experience. And as, as you mentioned, Dr. O, at the beginning, um, this is primarily in our OK for School app. And we know we've got a few technical glitches here and there, but by and large, most of those are all sorted now. And it's really just about data that goes into it and the viability of that data to then guide us in making decisions. And I know that we're, we've been talking, uh, particularly through the weekend, uh, about what we sent out in eNotes tonight. And if you haven't received eNotes yet, it's there. And that's a, a, some changes in protocol. So what I thought we'd do, Dr. O, if you're okay with this, is go through question by question for just those first five questions Fine. and talk about them individually and see if we can add nuance to it. And at the same time, maybe answer some questions about each of these questions in individually and how they're going to change on the weekend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. But first, I'm going to emphasize my first point, and that is this one. 7.30 a.m. people. <laughs> I, I can't emphasize this enough. Uh, you need to be doing the attestation survey earlier in the morning for us to viably be able to reflect on that data, get it into our systems, and be prepared for that eight o'clock arrival. And this morning, we still had hundreds of you. I thank you for filling out the survey, but there were still hundreds of you that were well past 7.30 and made it very difficult for us um, to make sure that all of our lists and everything were updated in time for kids arrival at school. And we're continuing to tweak those systems. Uh, again, we have manual lists. We also have automated systems we're getting into play. We're still uh, pushing out the last of our uh, wristbands in uh, selected grade levels. Uh, but I observed high school this morning, elementary school yesterday, and the biggest chunk of what we were dealing with was primarily getting those surveys um, in so that we could pull up the reports we needed to in time for those first kids who start arriving at eight o'clock. So I'm just going to emphasize that again and again and again. Yes, 8.30 on Wednesdays. I sent that out this morning. You guys got the late start, so we can wait till 8.30. But please, no later than 8.30. And, and certainly on regular days, no later than 7.30. And yes, I, I don't really care about the weekends. Do the survey but time on the weekends is not an issue for us. It really is Monday through Friday, and we just need to have that. So of course, the very next question that comes up, Dr. O, is uh, temperature. So yep. question number one, um, we had 37.8 as kind of our limit, if I remember right. And I think uh, in the letter we sent out today, we're gonna be bringing that down just a couple little yep. points here to 37.5. <laughs> Do you wanna talk about that a little bit and why we're modifying that temperature? 
Well, so this is based on uh, the cases that we had, but also on the more literature on the kids. And it appears that most of the time, the, uh, you know, most of the time kids have very few symptoms. And in fact, again, as, as I mentioned to you last time, one of the children we diagnosed last week was fully as asymptomatic. Right. The, uh, the other three had mild fever only and for only half a day. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, that was basically the, the, the symptoms of COVID. So, <clears throat> so that's why we decided to be a bit more rigorous on this front, um, because fever, depending on the statistics, you know, and depending on the country and depending on the reporting, but fever is, uh, you know, when they did the analysis in China, it was basically 99% of the cases had fever. Got it. Obviously, it's not a pathognomonic uh, symptom, so it's not a characteristic of COVID only. Fever is present uh, in every infection, basically. But since uh, it's such a common, uh, such a common symptom in COVID, um, you know, we will focus uh, a lot on fever, and hence uh, we lowered the bar a bit, just to be on the safe side and treat fever as a potential, uh, as a potential uh, differentiator. Um, Obviously, you know, again, we are entering flu season. So, so uh, I'm mm -hmm. constantly having this in the back of my mind uh, because COVID symptoms are very similar to flu. In fact, most of them. So uh, <clears throat> fever, uh, muscle aches, chills, uh, cough mm -hmm. uh, are obviously symptoms of, uh, of flu as well. <clears throat> Usually flu is associated with much higher fever. So um, you know, perhaps we will see, and I, I will look into it in more detail. Perhaps we will have a band of fever. Uh, so we will see. I will be looking at the literature because obviously now we will be seeing more COVID cases among kids because kids return to school. Right, so and that, that's kind more. of the key. We're going to see this yeah. uptake. It's so we will see uptake, and we will see we will have more of the symptomatology characteristic of uh, children reported uh, from various countries. So we will see maybe there is a band. That's my current hypothesis that it could be kind of, you know, let's say 37.5 to 38.5 and anything above is more likely flu. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, let's see uh, what the new data uh, from the and around the world shows. I'm monitoring on a daily basis. Uh, but for now, I think the prudent thing is to lower the, the bar that we have um, and treat this as a potential sign. Great. Okay. So that gives us that. And again, that 0. 0.3 difference really shouldn't affect very many. And it no, really no. Many. I mean, it's, it's measurement error also. So that's why I'm, you know, not that. And, you know, if you see, uh, my recommendation would be take it twice. Okay. Yep. Uh, so because usually, especially when you get out of bed, you may have either too low fever or too high fever, depending right. on kind of how you slept. So take it twice. If you see, you know, 30, 7.7, uh, when you measure it first, mm -hmm. uh, let your child kind of do the uh, you know, morning pee and morning routine, and then measure it again, and then see, uh, because it may be just uh, kind of warm a room, and uh, you know, the, ch the children have usually higher metabolism when they sleep, so they may also have a bit higher body temperature. In the morning, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so measure it again. It should, uh, if it's uh, not an infection, it should uh, kind of go down within uh, 
literally minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if it, it if it persists, uh, you know, again, please be mindful, uh, and we will be uh, and please in, input it uh, as the thermometer uh, indicates. Excellent. Um, I'm going to go back to a couple of questions that are coming up here. Uh, one on the app, but hold on that while I talk about counselors. I actually have information. Like counselors are planning all kinds of things, and they've got uh, parent groupings as well as kid groupings. And I notice our administrators are answering all these questions about that um, in the chat stream. So please take a look at that. There's there's lots of things that are going to be going on, and more things coming on the horizon. And counselors wanted me to share some more details with you, but because of the system crash, I can't get to the document right now. Uh, but stay tuned; we'll be saying that out. I think there were a number of things in eNotes about counselor activities as well. Um, then back to the app. Uh, I wanted to thank uh, Jim for jumping in and answering uh, the question about loading the app. It's not a uh, an app in the true sense of the word. And I know uh, some people were frustrated with this in terms of getting it loaded on their home screen because it's really ultimately a bookmark and it's a web-based app, which gives yeah. it the broadest compatibility with the most systems, including computers, laptops, tablets, everything else. But one parent was asking Dr. O, is there any look towards the future of getting it into an actual app on the phone? I mean, actually getting it approved through a process? Or, or otherwise expanding that potential? So there, you know, and, uh, obviously I'm not, uh, I, I uh, or I was not an IT specialist when I- uh, Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I don't want to get into technical. I just On this adventure, but by now I think I, I know much more than, certainly I, than I knew a few months ago. But uh, so there are two ways you can program an app. So there's this, uh, you can have a native app, which means it's a dedicated app, which is usually, uh, uh, again, system specific. So you have to do a native app for iOS, a native app for uh, for Android, and then you have to do a web-based platform separately. So uh, that obviously adds a lot of cost, and uh, that's why usually uh, when you see even uh, you know uh, apps that are on the App Store, etc., they usually start with a native app or with a PWA. So PWA is the system that we used. Mm -hmm. uh, which is this web-based uh, application, which uh, basically is much easier to program for iOS and Android at the same time. Plus, it becomes automatically available on the web. Right. We have there are a few things that will make uh, the PWA app a little bit uh, less optimal. Uh, but it's more about the future functionality. So we are thinking about moving it to a native uh, setup. Uh, but for now, I think the, uh, the, there have not been, let's say, any, uh, any good reason uh, from a technical staff, from a, I mean, from a, uh, a usability standpoint, to move it to a native app. And uh, and obviously, you know, writing an app from uh, from the beginning because it, it will be uh, if we do a native app, it's basically restarting the whole process from scratch because then you, you have a different usually it's a different language etc. Yeah, 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 and it has to be a lot more I, I think structural coding to it. Much more structural coding, and uh, so it's uh, there are you know when you look now and when you read read up and and I have obviously done a lot of research on this as well. Uh, the PWA standard is becoming more and more uh, accepted. Before it was uh, the native app. Now, because it's so much more universal, 
And because the development costs have skyrocketed mm-hmm. uh, in the recent years, uh, a lot of uh, systems are moving, uh, at least you know, those that are starting, to PWA format because it's just uh, a, a more financially also, uh, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, acceptable format from a development standpoint. Yep, exactly. The other thing I'm going to point out, though, is there's a couple of actual advantages to having it being a web app, particularly the ability to do it on a computer and the immediate addition of dozens of languages using a standard Google translator while you're doing the app on a web browser that you can't get necessarily through a native app. app. Yep. And, and, and that, that I think is a huge advantage. Um, and a hint out there to parents, if you didn't uh, grab that instruction at the very beginning about installing the app as a bookmark on your home screen, um, all you have to do is log out. And when you log out and you log back in or you go to that screen for login, the button's right there at the bottom. It says yeah. install. And, and iOS users, all you, all you Apple phones out there, you must use Safari. That's an important yeah. point to make. Yeah. Um, other other non-iOS phones, you can use the browser of choice, um, and it has its own set of uh, methodologies. And in the, these web apps, identify what phone or what device you're using, and so they kind of set up to be able to work properly on those uh, different infrastructures according to the needs of that infrastructure. So, um, but on on Apple and iOS, please make sure you're using Safari. Yep. Uh, I've already got my first request for changing the 7.30 to 8 o'clock, so I'm going to just say, <laughs> no, 7.30 a.m., please, everybody. We have <laughs> to have it by 7.30. You can't wait any longer, and I've got to have um, those last 100 or 200 that are still after 7.30. Please get before 7.30. Do whatever you have to do. Switch your morning schedule. I I know, you know, there's lots of things going on in a home and it's tight timelines, but, you know, the kids are supposed to be arriving here at eight. We're only asking for 30 minutes before. Um, it's really important for us to get that 7.30 in place. Um, like, you know, the, the, all of the stuff you're asking about counseling in, in the app, is it, we definitely are all doing that and we're all preparing plans. You saw the videos in elementary that came out that are all about adjusting kids to these things. Also about addressing the time we were out last year. We very much have that in our frame of mind. And we said right from the beginning, social emotional is very important to us. So we will keep focusing on that and, and we're identifying all across this. Um, that you know, teachers and everybody are doing all the things they can to make this all work and make kids feel comfortable and, and focus on their social emotional. What I hear from parents is kids want to come to school. They're excited to come to school each day and they're very thankful for the fact that we've put these things in place and have helped to make this happen. Um, let's go on to question number two. I think this is the nuttiest one, Dr. Rose. <laughs> yeah. To throw it in there. This is the this is the symptomology, and I know there's a lot of debate on this, and it's going to be a tough one. But I think what you're suggesting is we can take that list and we can hone in on the ones that are our highest probability, knowing that we're doing this in conjunction with testing. This is yeah. that balance effect again. Yeah. Yeah. But do you want to talk about these these four that we're going to narrow it down to, and particularly the change from 72 hours to 24 hours. Yeah. Yep. So we have, so basically we have, uh, remember, we start with fever. So this is the first symptom. Okay. We already got that ticked off. That's done. 
Now, there are other symptoms which we looked at and the list had uh, eight in the past. These were all the symptoms that kind of were reported uh, or most, uh, let's say 99%. And then I was thinking, you know, again, going into, uh, into the flu season mm -hmm. and uh, thinking about uh, a lot of other things that are happening and a lot of other diseases, including, you know, uh, uh, rotavirus and norovirus and, uh, and common colds, etc. And uh, uh, we then narrowed in these symptoms to the ones that have been reported the most. So basically by, uh, let's say, more than 30% of uh, cases or even more than 20% of cases, anything that was less and so, for example, uh, diarrhea or vomiting, difficulty swallowing, thirst or loss of appetite, uh, runny nose. These were all below like seven even percent or below five. Oh, wow. Below seven? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. So, again, it's, um, I mean, it, we, we, we have to wait, you know, because uh, obviously you can say that, uh, you know, you know uh, that runny nose is, is, is there as well. Uh, uh, yes, and you know, I also heard of uh, watery eyes and dry eyes and uh, hearing loss and headaches. And then we suddenly have a list of 35 symptoms which will exclude everybody. Right. So here, because we have fever and these four which are covering kind of 95% of the cases, and we have the uh, testing, and we have the quarantine after symptoms. So basically, we're saying, first of all, we don't want ill kids at school, irrespective of whether it's COVID or something else. Because, you know, when we have somebody with even with common cold come into school, then suddenly we'll, we're going to have fifty common colds, and everybody will be like, okay, maybe it's COVID, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, so that's why we we really don't want ill kids at school. Number one. Number two, when you are ill, uh, you know, again, uh, stay home. You know, I mean, if you're ill, you should not be at school. You should not be at work, irrespective, again, whether it's uh, whether right. it's common cold, whether it's flu or whether it's COVID. And that we can deal with, which is normally stay at home. If it's outside the stay. Door and yeah. you've got a common cold and it resolves itself, come back to school. Come we back to school. We don't, it resolves. That a, yeah. Right. It resolves. Come back to school again. We say 24 hours uh, <clears throat> because uh, usually, I mean, very often what we see, at least so far, is uh, when a kid is ill, the parent fills out a survey and then because they are at home, they don't. Yeah. So we want a clean survey before we kind of take a decision. So let's say somebody got ill on, uh, you know, Tuesday, uh, then they on Monday, then they forgot to fill it out on Tuesday, then they fill it out today. So then we, you know, it, it would be kind of late, you know, for us. So then we say, okay, so it's 24 hours after a clean survey. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, when somebody comes back after a clean survey, then we would get, they would get retested. Because even after resolution of symptoms, you may still be contagious um, with COVID, okay? And the antigen test will obviously detect those who are infecting others. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, if this uh, child would test positive after 24 hours, then we would obviously go into the typical quarantine of 
seven days after the positive test. Right. But most of the time, I assume, they will be testing negative and then they are readmitted to school. So it's, it's and that's why we reduced it to 24 hours because, you know, initially I kind of had in my mind, okay, we, we should really quarantine those kids. But again, most of them will not be COVID. So there's no reason. And right. when we do retesting after 24 hours of resolution of symptoms, yeah. we will detect with 100% certainty COVID. Right. Okay. Uh, and if it's not, then it, again, it's going to be 100% that it's not COVID. So that's why uh, we relaxed this uh, 72 hour to 24 hour. And at the same time, we relaxed the number of symptoms. Because again, the runny nose, again, I, I, 99.99% of the time, it's going to be common cold. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if it's COVID, then we will catch it uh, in, the, in the weekly test. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that helps us get it down to a little bit narrow, but at the same time, we're still doing the same level of protection because we've got the retesting that yes. really checks for the virus and keeps yes. us on track. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And that, that we're going to come to the next question, which obviously is about uh, siblings as well. I think there's actually one in between, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. Before I go there, though, there was just a quick question in the chat stream about um, do you have any thoughts on vaccines and vaccine available? Um, somebody mentioned, and I remember this too, that you were at AstraZeneca uh, yeah. back in the days. Uh, you know, they were uh, working on something. I think maybe they're even in third place. Like, uh, what is there? There's yeah. like nine vaccines around the world now that are moving into into phase yeah. three. Yeah, yeah. So there is uh, <clears throat> at least three which are kind of late stage. So you have the uh, Pfizer. The Moderna and the AstraZeneca, which are in late, late phase three studies, and uh, there is uh, hope that uh, you know even in uh, still this year they would uh, still be uh, let's say the studies would be released, uh, so the results of the clinical studies would be released. So once the clinical studies are released, then you still have the FDA approval process. Okay. Right. Normally it's 12 months, huh? just to you know. Obviously they will be accelerating, although in the, the last 24 hours, there was a lot of kind of back and forth between the FDA commissioner and uh, the administration. Uh, and he kind of uh, was, uh, I think a bit uh, uh, first relaxed. And then he said, no, 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 I'm not gonna approve anything kind of quickly. So there is uh, obviously some tension because A, the trials were extremely fast. B, the follow-up is extremely uh, short. The follow-up in the studies is only eight weeks, so you get two doses and an eight-week follow-up. And then uh, the efficacy is, uh, the, the statistical power is designed in a way to show efficacy of between 50 and 70 percent. So, uh, so these are kind of the facts. Now, if I project this, uh, the future, even with fast-track FDA approval, then we go into the challenge of uh, A, manufacturing, distribution, C, actually getting the vaccine into people. Mm -hmm. And um, um, so, uh, uh, and then you get the other side of the story, which is uh, how many people will actually take it willingly? Because mm -hmm. I don't think any government will mandate it because we saw the Australian government uh, making or Australian PM making a statement some time ago that they would make it mandatory. And then he had to, within hours, go back on the words and say, yeah, yeah, yeah obviously it will yeah. be voluntary. 
Uh, and uh, in the recent uh, poll in the US, 35% of Americans uh, said they don't want to take the COVID vaccine. Well, that's that's kind of the separate strain issue, right? That's another issue. Yeah, that's another issue. It's because- not just about getting a vaccine. It's also about getting people to be willing to take a vaccine. And there's got to be a little bit of a juxtaposition of a fast approval process, yeah. not necessarily convincing people it's safe or- it's safe, that exactly. That's the do. underlying kind of psychological fear. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, me personally, I'm a, I'm a, I'm huge on vaccines. Okay, and again, we've been talking to John about the flu vaccine, even though it's not. I mean, it's only 50, 60 percent, but uh, I know on a population scale, especially now that we have COVID and flu, I want to reduce as many flus as possible. Right. So, yeah. uh, and I'm uh, I'm you know I'm religiously I've been taking the flu vaccine for the last uh, almost 15 years now. Um, and uh, same with my kids. Um, but here with COVID, to be honest, I, I'm even me, uh, I, I am a bit concerned, you know, and, uh, uh, and because I know that normally it takes uh, like, uh, I would say on average, uh, seven to 10 years to develop a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, for some diseases, we still don't have a vaccine. Even for the for the SARS, we still don't have a vaccine. Right, eighteen years down the road. So and, and that's uh, the same kind of virus. I mean, and it's the same kind of virus, exactly the same kind of virus. All these other things that are pretty much the same structural qualities. So again, I'm, I'm uh, I am uh, I'm extremely hopeful, um, and at the same time, I am um, you know I'm a, a, let's say a, a cautious optimist. Huh? Uh, because I think it it would be uh, it would be extremely valuable to get vaccinated. But again, then you start kind of projecting. Okay, so what if not everybody gets vaccinated? How do you then track who got vaccinated, who didn't? Right. And uh, what is that actually... mean for isolation and access, and, and and whether or not you put them at risk? Because then there's a liability if you put them at risk within an environment without protective factors. So it may not may not immediately relieve some of our protective factors. It may not. It may not. Portion of the population from the testing protocol, yeah. but certainly the sanitary protocols and everything else would no. still be in place. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I want to highlight that you and I have been working on a white paper, and our intent is to publish this with much more of the underlying nuts and bolts details. So I've got a couple of questions in the chat stream about um, your, your, the newness of your company, which we've already taught it, trotted out there. So I don't think we need to rehash that tonight. Um, you built that company on the basis of responding to a challenge that everybody was facing at, at this point in time. And so I think you've got the right partners and certainly we've built a relationship that we know each other very well and, and know, you know, what the backdrop is. Um, uh, but the, the, the source of tests where materials are coming from, supply chains, those kinds of things. We intend to write about that in the white paper. Really put out also the validation studies and the things that we've talked with various groups about so that there'll be kind of a one-stop place to go rather than pushing this out in small bits to everybody. So I think we're very close on that. Probably we are close. Yeah, I'm I'm working uh, diligently. It's, uh, you know, it's going to be... uh, Mm-hmm. It's going to be a good, uh, a good, I think, background for all of you guys to, to dig deeper. For the science crowd, there will be a, a science section. For the non-science crowd, there will be, I think, enough uh, kind of uh, layman explanations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, and uh, and yeah, and I mean, you know, the question that I'm asking myself, and it's a good point uh, if somebody raised it, is the supply chain. Uh, and I am working uh, very hard to ensure that we actually have supply chain mm -hmm. uh, of the tests, uh, because uh, my biggest concern, and we also we're also working other channels with John on the. Uh, on potentially getting supply of other tests uh, because um, uh, again there's so much now right. so much talk about these antigen tests being the you know the big promise you know even though again they're not 100% uh, they're 97% but they're cheaper they're quicker they're point of care they're you know 15 minutes and they they help you know make real decisions uh, um, as opposed to PCR, which is, uh, you know, 99.9%, but you get it five days after, what do you do, you know? Um, mm, yeah. So that's why, you know, there's so much talk about antigen tests now. And even yesterday, there was a big article in the Polish Gazeta Wyborcza on the, on the antigen tests and on Michael Nina, who has advised us on the protocol. Michael Nina, the professor, the epidemiologist from Harvard. And... Um, and I am concerned that suddenly everybody will be buying those antigen tests. And uh, so we are securing, you know, I have now a, a full-time person basically ensuring that we have sufficient supply right. of the antigen tests. And this, this, again, this population surveillance methodology is going to continue to get a it's going to continue. And it's, it's going, going to, to continue significantly. It's the only approach, I mean, again, uh, you know, I, 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 have, I have seen uh, other approaches, uh, you know, uh, and, and, some, and I have, you know, I've, I've seen other schools deploy, for example, uh, PCR tests to test everybody in the school. And mm -hmm. um, I, I was baffled, you know, by this because uh, over the course of uh, a couple of weeks, they're spending, uh, you know, probably as much as, uh, uh, as uh, you know, kind of three, four months of uh, testing in the American school, getting the same results, by the way. Right. Uh, right. So, uh, so again, it's uh, it, it's 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 like everything in medicine, you know, and in life, you you can always be more accurate, you know. And if you were to ask me what is the most accurate methodology today, I would say it's not PCR, it's NGS. Okay. And then, what's so you NGS? can. What's NGS? NGS, so it's next generation sequencing. It's even much more accurate. You actually are sequencing the whole genome. So it's, ah, okay, it's now kind of, so you're not slicing, you're just sequencing. It's extremely accurate. It will detect, you know, kind of uh, half a copy of virus. It costs about 800 euro. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you will need to get a good sample. So probably bronchoalveolar lavage fluid, which means you have to get hospitalized for half a day. They're putting, they're pumping fluid into your lungs and then uh, getting it out and then taking a sample of it. This is the best source of uh, of, uh, of uh, biological material. It will cost you another 250 euro probably to get this procedure. So for a thousand euro, you have a really, a, like a really 99.999% test. Right? But that's also, that's still, that's still diagnostic. That's what the doctors use when they've it's got diagnostic. a case and, and they've got exactly. to figure it out, right? And it makes a lot of sense, you know, when you have a life and death decision. And, you know, when, when I was practicing medicine uh, back in the day, uh, I, I, was, I was kind of, you know, if, if I had a patient and the life was at stake, I would be doing everything at any cost, every test, you know? And I remember I had, you know, uh, one of my first patients when I graduated from med school, was a pair of Siamese twins. You 
know, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, the head of the department said, okay, so uh, you graduated yesterday, so I give you a challenging patient, and he gave me these uh, scientist heads. And, um, you know, life was at stake. So uh, I, I contacted doctors in the, the hospital, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and they kind of wrote me a, a list of tests, you know, and I went to the, to the various diagnostic departments and they're like, oh my God, it's going to cost us thousands and we don't even know how to do it. I'm like, yeah, but we're like, you know, this is, this is the level of detail we need to really understand where is the, you know, venous connection, where is the arterial connection, where is the membrane connected, where is the heart connected, etc. So we need to do everything. So it makes sense when you have a case and you're kind of trying to, uh, diagnose it so precisely so that you take a better therapeutic decision. Mm-hmm. Here, we're not taking therapeutic decision. We're not trying to treat COVID. Right. <laughs> we population. Are treating, it's population health, and we're trying to kind of get signals. You know, it's a bit like with uh, uh, using x-ray as a screening tool for lung cancer. Yep. It's not very good. You know, it, it, it's, not, it's not 100%. By the way, CT is not 100% either. But since you do it on everybody, you will detect 90% of the cases. Right. If you do CT on 1% of the people and you get uh, 100% accuracy, you're only going to get tech 1%. And then, and, then, and then the other factor, which I know you talked about before, is the frequency. So this is answering the 11th question, which is, you know, antigen tests are not as reliable. Well, we know that, that there is this percentage of reliability, but we gain that back because frequency and because we're doing population exactly and and so we're in every case last week we had an antigen test that demonstrated it we caught it with that test we caught it with that test and by the way you know the interesting bit uh, which uh, you know even we were a bit concerned is you know we, we we tested family members and they all tested negative with the antigen test mm hmm and, uh, you know, even I was a bit uh, anxious because, you know, in the family, you, you obviously expect everybody else to get infected if you have a child, especially if you don't know that they have COVID and you're not isolating the child. And then they all did the PCR tests uh, for the family and they all turned negative. So uh, it confirmed our results. So it confirmed our result. It's a small sample. Obviously, we have, you know, uh, I mean, the, the manufacturer, you know, when they uh, issue the test and they start distributing they need to do hundreds of patients and they did but i think you know it's uh, it's different when you have uh, experience yourself and you kind of see so far we have 100 percent accuracy uh, three years down the road we will not have 100 percent accuracy and pcr does not have 100 percent accuracy either you know and uh, the pcr testing is is kind of uh, there there's when when you dig one layer deeper into pcr testing there's actually a few things that you have to interpret in the PCR tests. Right. And this is not often actually reported. Uh, and I looked at many different companies and I have never seen, for example, the CT number. Um, and the CT number is how many cycles you need to actually detect the virus. The more cycles you need, this means the less virus you have. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because you, you have to replicate more times. Uh, so it means initially you had less virus. Got it. Uh, if you have few replications needed, then few amplification cycles, then it means you had a lot of virus. So this is a sign of at which stage of the disease you're at. 
And you know, people uh, who have had COVID two months ago, they will still be PCR positive, but they will have a high CT number. Okay, so they will need a lot of amplification cycles to detect the virus. But the labs don't report it. They just report positive. Uh, and very often, unfortunately, I also discovered recently that they don't actually do an epidemiologic survey, which is, by the way, what OK for School is doing daily. Right. Okay. And that's another, again, that's come back to the stop protocol and making sure we do that. It comes back well, to the stop protocol. And it comes back to, again, to a standard practice in epidemiology, where if when you do a test, you actually have to understand a bit more about the patient. You know, it's like uh, uh, sometimes, you know, people are saying that somebody is sick uh, for uh, because of having lab results. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you're not sick because of lab results. You have to understand the patient. You know, what are the symptoms? What is the history? Uh, you know, what is the family history? That's why it's not about lab results. It's about uh, the clinical manifestation. And here, it's not about the result. It's about the history. And here, that's why, you know, the epi survey is such an important part of this whole exercise that we're doing, of this whole strategic plan. Mm -hmm. uh, because we actually understand, and if we have, if we have a kid who is positive, we actually know because they had symptoms three days before, which were reported. Mm -hmm. If we see somebody who is negative and they had symptoms, we are worried, and we're right. thinking maybe we should wait a couple of days more and test them. Which is why all these things that we have, and uh, you know, it's uh, I know it's uh, sometimes it's a pain in the neck at seven thirty, etc. But again, it's part of the whole system and part of best epidemiologic practice to do. We, we, by the way, we don't ask the question in the app about whether you got a result somewhere else about COVID. No. And you already know your COVID. I mean, parents are contacting us for that. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm presuming everybody raises to a level of, of concern and brings that to our attention as they would for any other serious illness. Yeah. It's really not the purpose of the app is to find out who got a test somewhere else and they are positive, but we know families will routinely contact us in that regard. Uh, what we're looking for in the app is really to try to uncover the symptoms that may put us at risk for yeah. the virus. And so let's go back to the survey and get to question three here, or we're never going to get there. Um, number three is the one then that cap captures the family. Yeah. And it says, have you or someone in your household, well, actually, this is the first one, four the COVID, yeah. but this is contact with COVID-19. And again, I'm going to emphasize the words, and you tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it's the close contact yep. that is the discriminating factor here. And I, the, the problem is, Dr. Owen, you maybe can help us with this. Parents are getting contacted by outside sources that they've been exposed. Yep. And so and, and then that includes all the members of the family, obviously, and we have to go into this period of time and, and figure this out. So what's our advice here about first discriminating close contact, and then what's our time period and how do we want to know? And, and particularly, um, I think we're thinking about possibly removing the don't know option from this because it's not relevant unless you It's not relevant. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's not relevant. Yeah, so close contact again, I mean, <clears throat> the definition is 15 minutes less than a meter and a half uh, without mask, okay, uh, both people. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, obviously, it's hard because nobody's counting, nobody's looking. 
but basically uh, I, 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 when I do my epi surveys with people who have been exposed or who have been tested positive and kind of want to learn more, uh, I, we go daily kind of uh, through a list, a checklist of potential risk uh, behavior. So again, bars, restaurants, weddings, receptions, mm -hmm. um, visits to um, a physiotherapist, uh, visits to a, a massage parlor, a tattoo parlor, um, uh, weddings, I mean, you know, so anything what, which is uh, either crowded and in a closed environment, or you're spending a lot of time with somebody who is not covered in a mask in a closed environment, again, like in a physiotherapy session or massage session. Usually dentists are covered, so I'm not worried about dentists that much. Uh, that's why they're part of questions six and seven. Uh, but uh, the close contact is an important uh, is an important one, and uh, and again, these are the types of settings. Uh, so, first of all, uh, avoid those settings. Mm -hmm. And second of all, if somebody is contacting you, I mean, see, because again, if you have a brief discussion with somebody and you're both in masks, uh, then I'm not that concerned, to be honest. Uh, so you, and, you'd answer no on this. You wouldn't really go. To I'd answer no on this one. I'd answer no on this one. Uh, but if you if you had a if you had a longer conversation sitting in a room, um, then I would say you know yeah it's this is a risk. And I know that adds some subjectivity to this, but again, using those stipulations of fifteen minutes, no mask, no social distancing then we say, yeah, that's a close contact and you need to really lock the family down for, yeah. and, this, and this is a 72 hour period and then retest? Yeah. Yeah, so this one's 72 hours and then retest uh, for, and again, it's for anybody in your household. So it's the whole family that goes down. It's the whole family. And again, that's why we do 72 hours because usually you learn that you had this contact some days ago. You don't learn this day, you know? So since last survey, so yesterday you filled out the survey, <clears throat> and then yesterday you learned that five days ago you had a contact with somebody because again by the time the somebody gets a pcr test it's usually three four days by the time, so it's so that's why we do we only do three days rather than the seven or ten days right uh, because we know we're already five days into the kind of viral uh, you know transmission journey <laughs> right right and then and then the retest really protects us then when yeah. we Back. But it's also about developing enough so that we can get a valid result on this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, question four gets into the family members, and then I'm going to go back over here to some of the questions that are developing and um, and see if I can address some of them. But this is really just the family members now, and the same yeah. household members. Yeah. Yeah. And again, their close contact as well. So, what about isolation in a home? if somebody's got symptoms and creating an isolation so that there's no close contact? It's a question Look, I mean, I've been asked yeah. a couple of times. So I, I, what's your thoughts on that? Look, I mean, uh, if, if you uh, want to be on the safe side, if somebody develops symptoms, any of the five, so fever on these uh, four, uh, do a test, you know, and, uh, and then you will kind of know. And because I know it's, it's obviously anxiety. I would probably be doing the same if I, if my uh, one of my kids developed fever and uh, dry cough, uh, I would probably be testing them. 
and you and you'd be taking all the kids out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm taking all the kids out. This question is really about understanding the dynamics of family and transmission and close contact in with close contacts. Yeah. So again, our- we had in in those families that we had the cases last week, nobody else was ill. Uh, but families still, uh, uh, I think, uh, so kind of depending on the reports, it's between 25 and 32 percent of cases are within uh, are coming from uh, household members. Mm-hmm. So it's still an important source of infection. <clears throat> um, so so again, think about uh, uh, isolation if you cannot do a test. Uh, Again, uh, I, I know we were discussing and we are working on this uh, uh, option uh, for parents to opt in the app and also to opt into uh, additional yeah. testing. Right. And in that case, again, uh, we would welcome you for a test and then you can do a test on day one or on day two of symptoms, I would say. And then if it's negative, then you're fine with the other kids. Um, because again, it's, it's a bit of a, again, most of these cases will not be COVID. But that's again why we came back down to the 24 hours. That's why we came back to the 24 hours. You know, so yes, to answer the questions that are emerging here, and some of our parents are helping other parents by saying, yes, this is the way it is, is, um, you know, one kid goes down, all the kids go down, 24 hours retest, that's the safest path. And that's how we, again, all collaborate on protecting the community. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's the safest way. Again, other than testing the original health uh, ill child, uh, let's say on day one, day two of the symptoms, uh, and then having, because again, even the, sometimes the flu may be taking quite a while to resolve. So, so again, if you, if, you're, if you have three other siblings at home, if you have three other kids, uh, <clears throat> and you really don't want to have a full house of kids uh, for a week, uh, then you bring the child for testing, depending on the condition, you know, again, home you come to the drive uh, but still if it's possible then you test the child and then if the child tests negative then we would input it we would still have the child at home because of the symptoms because we don't right. have any child that's at home but at least we release the siblings and, and just to, to be clear again we're not reducing the covid symptom list for everybody to start sending sick kids to school <laughs> no, no 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 we don't want kids with symptoms that are not on this list either. That's our no. health policy. Our health yeah, policy. Yeah, yeah, that's our health policy. No, we don't want kids that are, you know, actively, you know, vomiting or diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> They're sick. Keep them home. Runny noses and and, and and light coughs as well. I mean, those should also stay home. And I know we're yeah. screening those at school and often calling parents to come and pick them up. Uh, and trying to again discriminate, is this something we should be concerned about COVID-wise? to go deeper into testing and such, but the, it's still the same principle. We don't want six people at no, school. We don't and want six people. If that means more absences this year, we'll deal with that. Yeah. But it, this year, more than any other, we've got to be conscious about making sure our kids are healthy to be at school, as much as it is for us as adults to be sure we're healthy to be at school. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a piece yeah, of the puzzle exactly. as well. Um, I've got a couple of, let me get this last question here, and then I think I'll take other questions that I'm seeing over here. Um, the travel question. And of course, I'm getting many emails right now about individual parents that have to, for work reasons, go on a trip. When they come back, what's the procedure for uh, taking them out? Right now, we've got a country list that is seven days. 
um, a non-country list. If it's any other country, it's, it's 72 hours. And what we've been saying and trying to be fairly consistent about it is it should be the whole family should be out of school until we see that. And I have to say, if we look back at many of our cases and we go back to root cause, there's a lot of indication travel is probably a factor in there. And that's one of the things we learned from that is that travel is our nemesis, that crossing boundaries, no matter how safely you try to do it, you're still opening yourself up to the potential um, that you're gonna bring something back. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, you know, if, if you can avoid travel, uh, if you cannot, and, and I think these days, I mean, everybody got so much into the Zoom and everything that I think uh, it's kind of part of our culture now. <clears throat> so I would say travel is, uh, I, I, would, uh, I would say it's not even, mm-hmm. it's not even a positive thing. But if you cannot, if you cannot avoid, then I would still, you know, recommend, again, for the sake of your household members, to isolate yourself as much as possible from other household members for you know three to seven days depending on where you're coming from mm-hmm. uh, because it uh, again the, the, the first uh, the, the, the first people who will be exposed to you and at risk because of you are your family uh, so it's uh, so that I would recommend is the, the, the first priority and it's it and it is possible to do it's not uh, <clears throat> and I know uh, I actually a good friend of mine was telling me a story that uh, he went to Brazil in February and he he came back from Brazil just the day before they locked down the, the country and uh, he was fine he wasn't actually he didn't have any symptoms but his wife said you have to isolate yourself for a week mm-hmm. and then three days later he developed fever he developed uh, chills he developed loss of smell or taste turned out it was COVID and, so, the, and if he had done and this is the other point that was being raised today. If he had done testing the day he got back, or even the next day, would be negative. It's it's logical it would be negative because he wouldn't have been to the point of shedding or anything. So exactly. we really got to hold tough on this one, I think, uh, because it is one of our key protective factors. Yeah, yeah. So again, uh, I, I think until until uh, travel is safe, and I, and I don't know how they will do it, uh, and. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still inclined to keep this policy, uh, unless again you guys can, uh, you know, kind of give me a, a signed statement that uh, you're isolating yourself from your household members. But I know it's tough, so uh, so uh, we we will be seeing uh, how this develops. But again, these imported cases are uh, are quite a large uh, majority. Obviously, there's community spread now is the most important one, but. Uh, imported cases, especially in our setup of an international school, uh, will also be an important uh, factor. Mm-hmm. And we've heard of cases coming from all of the 72-hour countries on the list, as much as the seven. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. But it's not limited to any no, no, no. one country more than another, um, although the differentiation is about those incubation rates and about the higher yeah. level of community yeah. spread, which all makes sense within the context of it. Um, so again, if you have questions about this, parents, just keep writing to me and I'll keep doing my best to give you my take on it and give you the clear parameters. And, and by the way, anybody needing to do a retest, just write to ASW Health. Yeah. 
aswarsaw.org. And we uh, schedule those appointments and shoot it right back to you so that you can come in and get that testing done. Uh, I'm going back over to the question. I guess I'm kind of at the question phase now. Um, you know, Violette was asking about consent forms and stuff. And I know we, we did work hard at the tail end there as we were getting ready for school to get all of the necessary agreements together. Uh, it was a challenge for us. We had lawyers making sure we had all the proper language. And they, you know, lawyers pick words sometimes that you can't really just go to an English dictionary and say, that's what this is because that's not what they intended by it. So this word of danger, you know, that there's some risk associated with oh, this. We've talked about this over and over again, and we've addressed it multiple times. It's not risk in that sense of, of serious, but there's always a possibility in even a small procedure like this of, well, and as we've experienced, we had a couple of bloody noses. Bloody noses, yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes those are from kids reacting or going afterwards, you know, to noses. Scratching the nose and picking the nose, yeah. Things yeah. like that. So it's, it's really hard to say where that comes from. But that is the subtle risk we've accepted by giving us this program that helps us stay in school. Yeah. And again, we are working uh, hard on the, on the saliva uh, validation. Um, as, as soon as I get to the same level of sensitivity, um, uh, I, will, uh, I will roll out saliva. For now, I think the nose is, again, has proven already on our cases that it's a, it's a very good source and a very reliable source uh, of biological material. And again, in large, in large part, uh, relatively risk-free. But again, as, uh, as John said, and as we have seen, there is always some risk uh, you know, I mean, even with just doing a, a basic uh, examination. So I think this, uh, again, the lawyers are always uh, trying to be on the safe side. Uh, we, you know, we could have listed all the potential risks, just like the drug manufacturers list all the potential side effects. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I think you would get even more scared because then, you know, we would have to list every possible thing that has ever happened with a swab. Uh, and I'm sure the list is very, very long. So, uh, so I think, again, uh, as, as you have seen, the biggest risk today is uh, uh, some irritation and, uh, and probably a bit of bleeding, but that's about it. Yeah. And uh, I'm noticing a, a chain of messages about, um, you know, learning and the fact that we, we should also be spending some time talking about our DP kids, which we know they're doing lots of things to make sure they make up for the time that they lost last spring. Um, the social emotional, which we talked about earlier. So I want to reassure everybody that while we're spending lots of time here talking about the health related issues to make sure everybody understands the preparedness, our whole focus is on making sure we can keep school going and minimize the amount of time that we would have to spend outside of school um, in any kind of virtual program because we've all demonstrated or, or directed our attention to the fact that we want to be in real school and that that's the best place for kids to be able to accomplish the education that we want. So, uh, you know, my apologies to parents if we're spending too much time talking about the health stuff, but I think it's necessary and we need to make these things become part of our habit, our fabric, our framework so that they're easy for us and then we can continue, not, not go back to, because we're doing it this whole time, continue our focus on the education that all of our staff and everybody is doing such an amazing job of delivering to kids. And again, when I talk to the kids out there, they're so happy to be back at school. 
they're okay with mess. They'll get through that kind of stuff because it's just about the importance of being here, being with their friends and being connected to their education and their learning. And I know that we're making good inroads in that regard. Uh, again, there's lots of dialogue going back. Um, so no on the runny nose. Runny nose is no longer on the list. It actually never was on the list. <laughs> Um, I know there's some controversy over whether runny nose could be one of those small percentage symptoms, but runny nose has never been there. And I think I've written about that a couple of times uh, that we want to make sure uh, that you understand the core symptoms that are COVID high percentage targets for us. And uh, those are the ones we want to focus on. Uh, again, I'm trying to read fast, everybody. I know there's a lot of dialogue going back and forth, more so than questions right now. So I'm looking for question marks. Um, thank you for the praise and for everything that's going to be. Um, uh, travel within the country versus travel abroad, Dr. O. I, I, we haven't really specified that. I don't know that we can get there. And I, I value what this person's asking. I mean, because there's some areas of Poland um, that are worse than others. Um, and certainly we see that in the statistics. I'm actually posting those statistics on the yeah. FAQ page. Um, but at the same time, um, it's, it's more about mixing with people and about large gatherings and maybe other factors. That's the point. But when you cross a border, that just escalates. It escalates. And because, you know, I mean, usually <clears throat> when you travel, uh, uh, in the country, mostly you try to travel with individual uh, transport with your car, mm -hmm. uh, and probably transport, I would say, is the is, is an important factor. Uh, then you know, I, I think we are we are still, you know, uh, when we are here, we are much more cautious. So everybody is, uh, you know, uh, I think it's easy. You know, you wear the mask, etc. So uh, with international travel, I think, again, there's just, uh, there's just, uh, uh, I think a lot of people travel. I don't know, I, to be honest, but I think uh, a lot of people are mixing in the airports and I don't think airports are prepared, you know, nobody's testing at airports. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so that's why within country, again, all, you know, please be mindful, you know, please avoid these situations where you're sitting in one room with everybody else not wearing masks. When people are not wearing mask, masks, you know, make a comment. You know, I was in a meeting uh, yesterday, uh, six people around the table, nobody is wearing a mask. And I said, guys, I'm not uh, prepared to give you this, uh, you know, pitch on our services if you're not wearing masks. Uh, so, and, so, and they didn't have masks, so we rescheduled the meeting. Uh, so, you know, you know, my role is also to, to educate people, and this is one way to educate them. That, you know, this is just unacceptable, and, uh, and, uh, and it's nice because they, they kind of said, we appreciate, and uh, we, they rescheduled. So they didn't say, oh, stupid guy, you know. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I think that's the, I think that's the reality we're in, and, uh, uh, and thanks to John, you know, who is putting so much effort on uh, on this behavior changes. Uh, I think uh, you know we are all ambassadors of what uh, of what John has implemented at ASW, and uh, and we should be the ambassadors. We should be spreading the word that this is the way to go. You know, and you know maybe it's uh, maybe it's too much. Maybe you know uh, COVID doesn't exist and it's invented by the media. I, I don't know. 
Uh, I know a lot of people who had COVID and uh, really suffered. Uh, I know a few, uh, I knew a few who passed away as well. Uh, so I think it's real. Uh, but I know some people don't. And, and I think, again, our role as uh, educated citizens and as, uh, part, as uh, you know, partners in this community and members of this community of ASW, uh, mm -hmm. which is really absolutely best practice, uh, we, we should be spreading the word. I wanted to uh, bring simplicity up on the screen here really quick. And again, I'm, I'm a little bit hamstrung tonight, so hang tight. But there's the FAQ page. And I just want to show all of the documents that are here that are trying to communicate out everything that we're doing and give you one place to go for each of these things that you may want to be referring to. When the white paper's done, it'll be prominently right here at the top of this so that everybody can get to it. Um, and so, you know, please do refer to that as the best place to go for information that we gather. And, um, you know, I, I want to reinforce again, too, I, I know you've, um, I've said this before, but absences wise, we are going to have a high degree of flexibility. I know we've got absence policy, but within that absence policy, it gives me as director the ability to offer um, you know, uh, discretion on total absences on the basis of serious health-related issues like um, a virus and an epidemic, right? And so yeah. we'll look at it a case by case and we'll deal with each individual case. So please don't worry about total absences. It's more about keeping the community safe. That's got to be our focus on this. And in our, we're all in this together uh, protocol, that's really where we should be keeping our eye on the ball. So please, uh, please keep the focus there. Uh, I've still got quite a few more things. Um, let's see. I don't think parents are blind. I think we're keeping parents very well informed. So thank you for that. But I think we're doing very well at getting a lot of information out there. Uh, again, don't worry about missing school relative to things. You're going to be getting uh, these things together. Um, Dr. O, one question about testing at home. Uh, we're still working towards that. We want to be stable. We want to have no infection before yeah. we start initiating that process. What do you think? Another couple of weeks before we start thinking about this? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, you know, I had, and as you know, I was uh, kind of the, the a big proponent of this testing at home, uh, and uh, and I still am, and I and I think it would be a good uh, a good approach. I think, I mean, technologically, we are prepared to implement. Right. Uh, I, I think we we really have to get into the habit, and uh, and I, I want all of you guys to also understand how important it is, so that it's a. It's kind of uh, fully, fully embraced by everyone, uh, because obviously this is our key key defense mechanism in the stop uh, in the stop uh, pillar. And uh, if we uh, if we have uh, gaps in there, mm -hmm. uh, then we will have issues. And and that's why um, I think um, I'm not as uh, keen to implement it fast. Uh, until we get kind of into the mental habit that, okay, testing is important, testing works, this is for the protection of my kids and all the other kids at school. I'd love yeah. to have just two stable weeks. <laughs> yeah, let's have two stable weeks, exactly. 
<laughs> and then that we can come be, back and talk. That could be the KPI, uh, John. You know that we have two stable weeks, and after that we implement. Yeah. Uh, again, we are ready technologically, uh, and again, I, I think for now it's it's fine. We are thinking about uh, improving even the in-school testing protocol. And we are starting, we have discussed already with John and now we will be discussing with uh, uh, heads of schools on, the, uh, on a different approach. Uh, so uh, let's see, uh, we, wa we want to streamline the process and make it as easy as possible for the kids and for the teachers so that it's as, as disruptive as possible, even if we are to stay with the in-school testing. But again, my, my vision is to move it to at-home testing. So we're keeping our fingers crossed. And again, the other thing I think you said it is we might end up with a different test that's easier to do at home. It could be. It could also be the case. We are constantly on the watch out and, uh, and uh, seeing how, again, so maybe, <clears throat> uh, you know, we, we will get our hands... I am discussing with uh, you know at least seven different companies, uh, and uh, I already kind of signed up for their uh, pilot uh, pilot uh, tests so that we can see how they work. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and there are some nice technologies that uh, and some of them can be used at home. And obviously, these paper-based based, uh, you know uh, antigen tests. Or even paper-based lamp tests. Uh, there's still some research ongoing on these paper-based lamp tests. So this is like kind of a PCR test, which is on paper. Right. Uh, so this is, uh, I think, this this will revolutionize uh, the whole concept uh, and the whole pandemic. Uh, to be honest, absolutely. Uh, again, my I would be extremely happy uh, if, if I make myself extinct because this is exactly why uh, you know the company was created is to help survive this pandemic. And as soon as we implement a solution, which is kind of, uh, you know, which helps everybody survive the pandemic, then we are out of business and that's perfect. Exactly. Um, I got one last question here again about uh, tests and reliability and those kinds of things. And as we're just talking about, there are many different kinds of tests and things that we're going to be doing, the frequency. Um, all of that's back in the video. And so feel free to watch the video and gather that information. But again, just reiterating, we've got a white paper coming with much more of the detail that'll be updated regularly as these changes are made. And that should help us um, get um, all the information out there. Well, we've been going about an hour and 15 here. We've had a wonderful turnout tonight. I think we maxed out at, at, at above 100 again. Very excited to see everybody joining us tonight. I want to give everybody a heads up going forward that I'm going to try. I've been told that maybe we're doing too much a little bit in some areas. So I'm going to back down on the town hall schedule and start moving into every other week. Um, so our next time together will be September 16th. Uh, we'll have an update there and possibly some PTO elements uh, to our, our meeting. And then I've got a lot of TBDs where I'm going to be looking for uh, maybe a bit more balance with learning content uh, as long as, as well as Dr. O coming back as needed to answer any of our remaining questions so that we can keep cycling that as well. Um, so again, if there's more required, we'll put them back on the table, but watch the uh, parent group and also uh, the public calendar on ASW for those upcoming dates and for those reminders. Um, 
I think that's it for me tonight, Dr. O. Thanks again so much for being with me tonight. Uh, you're well, such you. a wonderful partner, as I know I've said that over and over again, but I know you're always at my fingertips on SMS and, and <laughs> willing to take my phone calls and, and help us through all of this. And, and I should mention too, that since our last time together, you've been very present in the building on multiple days, just kind of helping walk through, checking our facilities, looking at what we're doing in band, for example, yep. uh, really uh, touching base with administrators, with our nursing staff, and really working your crew uh, to improve their skills as well, because that's all part of this too. So again, thank you so much for everything you do. And parents, thank again, thank you for everything you're doing to take care of your kids trying to make the right decisions, asking me the questions. I, I hope I'm being responsive enough to you as I, as I answer those emails as quickly as I can. Um, and please uh, just keep working with us and we'll keep working out the kinks and getting ourselves to the point where this is all part of the way we do business so that the focus can be where it needs to be, social and emotional, health and well-being, and learning. And that's what ASW is all about. Learning never stops at ASW. <laughs> Okay. All right. Dr. O again, thank you so much. And we're going to take, we're going to take the outbound music here and have a wonderful evening, everyone. Have a good evening.